DiscerningHearts.com presents St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke, who is the founder and president of the Avila Institute for Spiritual Formation. He's also the co-host of the Divine Intimacy radio show with his wife, Stephanie. He is the author and editor of more than 17 books on Catholic spirituality, including Devil in the Castle, the book on which this series is based. St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul, with Dan Burke. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Dan, thank you so much for joining me. I'm grateful to join you. I'm humbled. You know, you're, you, I've been an admirer of your work for years. We have a beautiful mutual friend in Dr. Lillis, and uh, it's just a joy for me to contribute. I mean, we've met before and you've interviewed me before, but it's been a long time. I was recalling uh, prior to bringing this session forward, the very first time I met you, it was at a Catholic Marketing Network meeting in Dallas. I remember. I think think it was in 2011, and you were very excited, but in such a, I have to say, in a very humble way, enthusiastic about a new book that you had been working on and that would become navigating the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're talking about your hopes and dreams and what might happen with that work. And wow, what a journey you have been on. Yeah, it's been quite some time. And that that book was my first Catholic book I had written. I'd been published before. I was struggling with spiritual direction. How do people help people to understand it? And the writing of that book, which was very challenging, I might say, was good. I, it won the best Catholic book award in that year, which was total travesty because <laughs> um, the infancy narratives came out and those, you know, Pope Benedict is much better read than anything I will ever write. Um, but it was, it was an honor anyway, you know, a weird honor. <laughs> Pope Benedict's one of my heroes. So oh, I think he, he would smile at what you just said, because I think his aim hasn't been to help people bring them into the heart of the father into the heart of relationship. And that's exactly what that book uh, attempted to do and accomplished in the lives yeah. of so many. So I, it makes me smile when I hear you say that, because I think he would have been overjoyed. Uh, um, yes, I'm, I miss him terribly. It was a, such a blow when he, um, when he uh, resigned. And uh, I think that his work, God willing, um, it was a, a very unique contribution in the life of the church, the history of the church, trying to repair, I think, a lot of the difficulties following the council and trying to restore uh, and help the church move forward with a deep um, orientation to what the Holy Spirit had been doing for 2000 years already. And uh, it was a, it was a blow to lose to him. I think that's the just sheer gift and the fact that we have his written works. Yeah. And we can go back and we can examine not only what he has to say, but to be able to allow it to kind of penetrate into our spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And there was a woman who was mapping out that path while, while guys were mapping out the world mm-hmm. all over and sailing their big ships and creating things. Here is this woman who was doing the same thing with her writings. And of course, it was the great spiritual mama that you you write and you are such a beloved son of. Mm. And that's, of course, St. Teresa of Avila. 
Yeah, she's an amazing woman. You know, she accomplished things in her time, just in terms of just on the pure human level that no other woman had done or even come close to, in my estimation. And by the power of God entering the divine realm, aided by God, she just turned the world upside down spiritually in a good way, or right side up maybe is a better way of saying it, and um, really gave us the gift of her prolific writing, her deep prayer, her union with him. And, uh, you know, she's a, a pioneer of the soul, right? So she was graced to navigate the, the territory of the soul in a profound way, in a very short period, really. And then by God's mercy, <laughs> she was commanded to write and tell the rest of us how to do that. And uh, I think the interior castle is the most important work on prayer in the history of the church. I could be wrong, um, but I think it is. She became a doctor of the church. Right. And the whole church proclaims, yes, what this woman has gifted us with, who was told she had to do, Mm -hmm. That, yeah, I would agree with you. I think it's a, a seminal work. And I'm, I, I think we are so blessed to have your insights mm -hmm. and your experience and your knowledge to contextualize her writings overall, especially in this area of the challenges that the enemy of our souls, the, the devil, will try to put in front of us. So I'm, yeah. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful oh. to you, Dan. Well, I'm humbled. You know, I, I like her. I don't like to write. <laughs> well, I'm glad you do. I'm glad you <laughs> well, go against that. It's, it's, an, it's a penitential act that I, I do when I struggle or when I, when I know the church needs something and I can't grab something that's already been written. Um, and this work in particular, of course, uh, has never been done that I'm aware of uh, since uh, her original publication of her writings has never been anything that examined her view of how the enemy works, you know, specifically. There's a lot of themes in her writings uh, that are worthy of exploration, deep exploration, prayer, of course, being mm -hmm. preeminent of, among, among them all, and how it is that we come to union with God. But um, I really wanted to, I really want to, you know, in part, I will be honest with you, I, I sometimes wonder if I'm crazy, you know, the, the way I see the world, because it feels so much in contradiction to what is out there. And I feel a lot of actual pressure to tone it down, so to speak, or whatever. And so I part of this was me wanting to enter into the heart of this mystic, this doctor of the church, this beautiful woman of God, and ask her, would you please tell me if I'm crazy or not? Would you please help me? Am I, do I, it is the way I see the world, uh, rational, real, does it properly comport with the heavens, you know, and uh, God be praised. I walked away going, okay, I'm, right. I'm okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm in, I'm under the wing of, of a doctor of the church. I haven't exited. I haven't overemphasized, you know, I mean, I have frailties, don't get me wrong, but in just in the general sense of, no, you're not crazy. No, there's not a devil under every rock, but yes, he is constantly at work in, in the world, in the church, in our hearts, in our parishes, in our prayer, trying to keep us from first really entering into the castle, uh, which is that great analogy that she drew upon to describe this ever-deepening journey with God. You know, she reveals what's happening when we try to enter in, and then, of course, 
when we enter in, all the different phases and, and shifts that the enemy works uh, changes in order to keep us from the next step closer to the beloved, uh, which is the end of, of our God. It's why we exist is to become one with him. And she reveals how the enemy is constantly working, changing, shifting to oppose that journey. Boy, I'm glad you, when you began to relate that to us, what share that with us, how you went to her to ask her that question, am I crazy? You could almost feel her in a very real way as you're reading the book, working through you as her good son. And I mean that in a, in a way, in a very masculine way, because to be able to speak and to give the aspects of her teaching, which are very, okay, I'm hearing what you say, dear spiritual mama, you know, and as a guy, okay, what's the plan? What do I need to do? How do I accomplish this? How do I communicate this? Where for me, when I first read The Interior Castle, she's just talking about how beautiful it is. And I'm not trying to minimize it as a, as a female, but she also has that, that aspect that talks about the beauty of it. And it makes it so attractive to go into it and to want to make that journey that you need to have that maternal nurturing side, but you also need that paternal. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to say, okay, wake up. You have to understand it. You have to be aware. You need to know what is about to challenge you. And I think you give voice to that, not only in the interior castle, but you contextualize it, as I said, by bringing in so many of our other writings, but also the writings that influenced her. Sure. I think that's important, don't you? Yeah. I mean, you you laid out something really interesting. I often, you know, our mutual friend, Dr. Anthony Lillis, who everyone should read, everything he's ever written. I always talk about the difference between he and I when we work together, and it's similar to what you described, the male-female, but uh, I always say that Dr. Lillis um, is uniquely gifted at revealing the beauty and the compelling reality and the joy and all of that, and I, and I would compare it to a garden with flowers, you know, and so Teresa is very much like that, Dr. Lillis is very much like that, and but my my role or my instinct is I think more in the realm of John of the cross. And that is, I like to pour the concrete path in the garden. Mm-hmm. And so it's not always as, as attractive, I think, as, as uh, and, or as beautiful as Dr. Lillis um, or, or even Teresa. And as you noted, uh, she does have such a beautiful vision, but it's a good compliment, right? I mean, uh, Teresa and I, God put Teresa and John together for that purpose, because Teresa's, as you know, kind of writes in this sort of circular way. She goes off on bunny trails and and all of that. And then mm-hmm. John is much more uh, ordered in his thought, but of course, beautifully uh, attached to poetry and you know beautiful language and imagery too. But uh, John tends to be a little more concrete and and specific. Though Teresa is often very specific, but it's it's sort of blended in with, with everything. So yeah, I think those are apt analogies and, and hopefully this book, what the other thing that's happened in this book, which, which I didn't necessarily anticipate is the interior castle is a hard read uh, Mm -hmm. for anyone um, for, because we're none of us. I mean, why I should say none of us, unless you're a saint, there's a lot of things you won't understand, right. That we won't understand. I should say, uh, including myself, 
But this book, because of the structured manner of it, I think is a great side-by-side companion to read. It will help because it cuts out some of the wanderings, you know, like in the sixth mansion where she speaks of locutions. I think she gave three different lists of maybe 18 points. And I'm I'm going, wait, you already said that one, or I think you said that Mm -hmm. twice. But what was the unique emphasis the second? So how do we, so I think, I think I got it down to 11 points on how to discern locutions. Regardless, you know, she, she's changed my life, helped me to come into the church. I'm, I'm very sure of that. I was, I was confirmed and received on the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel by no doing of my own. And uh, that was the beginning of my journey more deeply into Carmelite spirituality. But her vision is beautiful, compelling, I think, clear with some meanderings, transformative in every way. We'll return to St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Love Song by St. Teresa of Avila Majestic Sovereign, Timeless Wisdom Your kindness melts my hard, cold soul Handsome lover, selfless giver Your beauty fills my dull, sad eyes I am yours, you made me I am yours, you called me I am yours, you saved me I am yours. You loved me. I will never leave your presence. Give me death. Give me life. Give me sickness. Give me health. Give me honor. Give me shame. Give me weakness. Give me strength. I will have whatever you give. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today.
We now return to St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke. If you don't mind, I mean, we are, for the listener, we're going to be doing so much more in conversation and and breaking this all open. But I think it might help for those who are not familiar. They may ask, how did this guy get to know Teresa of Avila? I mean, he's He's not necessarily a Carmelite priest or mm-hmm. even a brother. I mean, how did you get to how did you get to know her so well? Yeah, it's a great question. So what happened is uh, I'm Jewish by birth, which is a connection to her as well. But mm-hmm. I came to Christ believing Jesus was the Messiah as a Baptist, you know, a Southern Baptist, no less. And I it it changed my life. I mean, my life before Christ was nothing short of brutal and really brought me to even the brink of suicide. When I, when I met Jesus, it's hard for me to contain my emotions, even talking to you about it. When I met him, everything changed. Uh, and so I began to run after him with this sort of ignorant abandon. And so if you, if you could maybe look at my journey from the top down, I would just flail, trying to flail into the kingdom, and I run into a wall of my own stupidity and cut myself up and I fall on the ground and then Jesus would say, it's okay. You know, here, this little bit to the left, keep running. Well, in that running, I was struggling with prayer. Uh, I had begun at what Protestants call a kind of a devotional life. And I knew that Jesus was real. I knew I had a relationship with him, or at least I, I wanted one. And I, I didn't quite know how to go about it all because in the Protestant world, it's also jumbled and unclear. And so I read, I, work, I was working with the largest Christian book chain in, in California at the time, and I read every book in print, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, uh, on prayer. Uh, Ian Bounds is a stack of them. Calvin on prayer was actually moving, believe it or not, um, in the institutes, you know, Heinz Feet on High Plate, you know, all of these books, right? So, but in the end, they weren't answering my struggles until... I stumbled on a, on a compilation of writers by a Protestant guy, and I don't remember the title of the book, but it was a compilation of basically Catholic authors, which he had de-Catholicized to make them palatable to Protestants. And so in that list, of course, was St. Teresa of Avila. And when I read her, and there was another writer who very much was helpful that I, I learned what aridity is, and I learned that I'm not broken or that I'm not, it's normal and that it can be very good at times and, you know, and why it's there. And I just, it, it opened a world of relationship that I never found in the Protestant, in evangelicalism. Uh, and I'm not disrespecting the good that I came to there. I, I came, I came to know Christ, but because they have for the most part abandoned thousand plus years, 1500 years, or more, even if you go to the Old Testament, they, they've abandoned the writings of those who were authentic disciples who gave their lives up for Christ, and who really knew him. Uh, and so they've, they've lost what St. Paul said, he said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So they've lost all these examples of people who followed Christ very deeply, and she's one. And when I read her writings, I thought this woman knows him. And it's, it's, uh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this interview without uh, losing it, but she knows him and she can help me. Mm. And, I, and I, you know, I just, I couldn't find 
I was desperate for that help and I couldn't find it anywhere else. And so I'm just forever grateful. And so, you know, like Dr. Lillis has such a love for Elizabeth of the Trinity. And so every opportunity like that you give him or we give him to, to expose her to the world, I feel the same about Teresa. You know, I want to, I want everyone to know her, everyone to become a disciple of hers that that's, you know, properly called to that or at least influenced by her writings. Well, first, thank you for sharing that, because I think what you've done is you've revealed to so many that this woman, she is worth knowing. I mean, it, and she wants to be known. She's easy to know. I mean, mm-hmm. are you when you begin to read her, there's no one more self-effacing. Right. Than, She's very real. Oh, my gosh. And the woman uses exclamation points like no one I've ever known. <laughs> I mean, she's just so emphatic. You can just yeah. hear her talking yeah. to you and and uh, becoming so uh, aware. She was the original Mother Teresa, the mm-hmm. original yeah. the great, wasn't she? Yeah. And it's funny because she has so many dimensions to her. She's very sarcastic. She berates her nuns a lot, uh, chastises them a lot and tells them to stop acting like women. It was just really funny to hear a, you know, mm-hmm. a woman talking to a woman that way. She uh, makes fun of John of the Cross in his height. You know, so I, she was just a character. I mean, all in for God, but all, but totally real, you know, and in fact, it's so real, it made her editors uncomfortable and they, her, her, her editors actually got into arguments um, over how much she disclosed about her sin. And I just find it endearing because, you know, a lot of people, I had a, we did a show once and the guests or a, uh, we had some kind of live chat going on and somebody said, I, this is so hard because these, I'm not a saint and I'm so far from being a saint. I'm, I can't listen to this, you know? And I said, read Augustine, read Teresa, you know, that's not how we start. You know, that's how they start like us, mm-hmm. you know, they don't end up like us. And hopefully we don't end up like us, uh, you know, untouched by grace. I love her huge. It's so comforting to me because I'm so aware of my brokenness. I love her because she, she was very aware of her, her frailty, her need for the Lord, her weaknesses. Uh, she was so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that's so powerful to hear a woman say, you know, I had bad confessors and I listened to them. I was caught in sin and I would have gone to hell even in the cloister because I wasn't, I was, I was allowing myself to indulge and there's speculation about the details, but we think it's just excessive chattiness, maybe gossip, just spending too much time in the parlor, all of that. And it just makes her more real. And then, so you want to lean into that. You want to meet her. You want to say, you know, I'm broken too. And, but you're a saint and a doctor you know, please help me. I pray almost daily for her help, you know, in the, in the spiritual life. So yeah, what a gift. And I, I think that's why your work is so important when beginning to bring her forward, particularly in today's world, because as you read her, I think we have to realize at her time, it was assumed that everyone was baptized for the most part. Yeah. Yes, there was the great, you know, the revolt of the the Reformation happening, and there was all this controversy. But the sacramental reception of the uh, baptism 
had taken the place in the life of so many. So when she's writing, she there's the assumption that yes, this is normative. And, and correct me immediately jump in and correct me, Dan, if I'm wrong. But as she's seen in that that first castle, or the castle in itself, the mansions, it's already in you. Because yeah. it would be like saying to enter a room that you're already in, you're already right. there, right? You know, and I don't think we you. have a sense of that today, not at yeah, all. Yeah, and that, that's one of the things I try to bring out in the book, and that is often mm-hmm. missing in uh, uh, when people write uh, scholars or whatever. And I'm not a scholar; Anthony's a scholar, but uh, but when people write about these things, they can fail to help the reader understand the context. And you've done that already with, you know, she was, she came about in a time where all of Spain was Catholic. I mean, all in, in sort of the, the most general sense, not definitive universal sense. And, and there were a lot of assumptions underlying what she was saying as an example, like you said, baptism is one, two is there were castles around where she lived. So within almost I think you may be able to see a castle from Medina del Campo if you if you stood up a scaffold, a scaffolding, which was a, an important convent that she established. And there's a castle there with a, with a moat, not with water, but a, a dry moat, so to speak. And so she had those kinds of things in front of her, and, and which, of course, drew her imagination to use that to help. But uh, to your point, as a baptized Catholic, we have access to the interior castle. And in a sense, it's sitting there latent. You know, we're in the kingdom of God. And it, but it is hard to kind of conceptualize. I, I, in the book, I work more on that castle analogy, talking about the kingdom being the outer walls. It's like in Avila, where, where she spent much of her life. It's a city that even today has 12 foot thick walls completely surrounding the original city. And so, baptism and confirmation are kind of like the entrance into that city, which is the kingdom of God. But this is all, the kingdom of God is among you, Jesus said, right? The the kingdom Mm -hmm. of God is within us. You enter into the kingdom of God. There's a castle in the middle, which was common. There's a great one in Carcassonne in France, where you have two outer walls and then a beautiful castle in the middle. Actually, we were there together, weren't we? Mm -hmm. You and I? Yeah. So you remember Carcassonne. And the And so there's a castle there that's available to us. Well, what's in that castle? In that castle is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But it has to be, though it's in us, and it's kind of a weird thing to conceptualize, that castle we have full access to, but we have to choose to enter more deeply. So we're in the kingdom, the castle's available to us, but we still have to make a choice to be what I would call an authentic disciple of Jesus. We still have to say, Teresa, show me how to enter into this reality with all of the assumptions, like she assumes baptism, as you said, the sac- the confirmation, she assumes um, that we go to confession. You know, she doesn't harp a lot on that because it was a norm in that time. She assumes all these things, but then she points out a s- several things, and I don't want to get ahead of you where you want us to go in the interview, but she points out several things that are necessary to enter in. So she assumes we don't necessarily understand and was probably not in any way prominent in her time. Though mental prayer was, of course, emerging in a, in a substantive way, she assumes that we don't understand how to 
draw into this intimacy with Jesus, both in terms of daily uh, mental prayer, which is engaging in this deep uh, exchange of love with God personally, not, not mm -hmm. vocal prayers, which are good, rosary, liturgy of the hours, but mental prayer. And then she also presumes we may not understand that self-awareness is absolutely vital also to the entrance. And so she says that we have to have prayer and reflection to enter in. And we know from her, her broader writings in John of the Cross, that can be interpreted as mental prayer and something like the exam, some form of the examined prayer, where we're daily saying, where are you, Lord? Where am I in relationship with you? Where do I need to be healed? How can I know you better? How can I yield more fully to you? And she says, when you begin to engage in those things, you have availed yourself of the gift God has already offered to you, and you've entered into a new kind of journey that is not just circling the drain and not just hanging out in the outer courts of the castle, but entering into this deep well of grace, this relationship wherein God desires to make us one with him, ultimately. We'll continue this conversation in our next episode. You've been listening to St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. Also, you can view the video of our conversation by visiting the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you find us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare, and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke.